Welcome to Center Ice. This is our special draft day edition. The draft is coming up this week. And joining us on the line is Steve Cornianos, also known as the Draft Analyst. He's been covering the NHL draft since 2015. You can follow him on Twitter at The Draft Analyst. And also check out his website at thedraftanalyst.com for more great draft coverage. First of all, thanks for joining us. We're thrilled to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you very much, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Okay, so so let's get to it. I thought um, a good place to start would be, we kind of know about all the top prospects in the draft, but who do you feel are the top American prospects? Well, you got to start with Jake Sanderson. And uh, I think um, we knew coming into this season that the NTDP, which usually produces the majority of elite American talent for every draft class, that it was not going to be like last year. Last year was a record-setting year where they had, I believe, eight first-round picks and 17 picks total. came from one program. It's unprecedented in NHL draft history. Uh, And so we knew that that this year's group was not going to be as deep. Uh, It was going to be rather top-heavy. But we did identify Jake Sanderson, uh, who's the son of Jeff Sanderson, who used to play for the Vancouver Canucks and the Hartford Whalers, and uh, more of a goal-scoring winger. Well, uh, Jake is the top defenseman, not only on the NTDP, but he's potentially the top defenseman in the draft. And we've identified, most of us being we, meaning uh, draft analysts and uh, pundits, have identified really only two elite premier defensemen in this entire class, one being Jamie Drysdale, uh, from Erie in the OHL, and then Jake Sanderson being the other. So uh, Sanderson is definitely at the top, and I think there's a significant gap uh, between himself and the rest of the American prospects, and part of that is because of the uh, aforementioned depth that the previous class has had and that this one does not have. Uh, but uh, there, there are, it's, still, it's not all thin. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, you got a kid like Brendan Brisson who's a center playing for Chicago in the USHL, and he's uh, expected to go to Michigan uh, to play college hockey. His dad is Pat Brisson, this NHL super agent, uh, who's best friends with Mark Bergevin, the GM of the Montreal Canadiens. So uh, keep an eye out for him going to the Habs that I believe pick 16. Uh, but yeah, he, he's a good player. He, he was the leading scorer at the World Junior A Challenge, uh, leading Team USA. Although they didn't medal, I felt that Brisson was definitely one of the top players in that tournament. And he was one of the leading scorers in the USHL. He centered the top line for the Chicago Steel. They basically steamrolled over everybody, uh, playing alongside some other notable American players like Sam Colangelo, a winger from uh, the Boston area, Sean Farrell, uh, another winger from the Boston area who actually played on last year's NTDP uh, alongside the likes of guys like Jack Hughes and Trevor Zegris and Alex Turcott. So uh, you throw in center Thomas Bordalo who was the, the primary point producer and main, I guess, uh, you know, offensive force among the forward ranks on the NTDP this season. And, and those are the guys you should look at as uh, potential first-round picks. I would say that Sanderson is a lock to go top 10, potentially even top 5. Uh, but everybody else thereafter, the guys I mentioned, whether it be Farrell or Brisson or uh, Bordalo or Colangelo, uh, you'll see them if they get drafted in the first round, somewhere in the, in the 20s, uh, late 20s. You mentioned how Sanderson could potentially go top five. Are there any teams picking in the top five that you could see Sanderson being a good fit for? I think he'd be a good fit for anybody. He'd be a good fit at the Rangers at one. He'd be a good fit 
for the Kings at two. I mean, he's that good. He's mature. He's got outstanding elite speed. So uh, if you want a comparison, uh, the guy that we've uh, we've been throwing around and whose name we've been throwing around is Ryan McDonough. Uh, although I think the Sanderson definitely has a higher ceiling uh, points production-wise. He's got a great shot. He was the lone defenseman on a power play that used four forwards. And I always got the impression that those forwards, as creative as they may be, were always uh, deferring to him and letting him run the show, uh, You know, whether it be uh, from the left point or uh, midpoint of the line. So uh, I, I don't think he's going to go first or second or third overall. Uh, but uh, again, you look at the Kings, they like their big mobile defenseman who could hit. Their GM, Rob Blake, was a big mobile defenseman who could hit. Uh, so there's definitely a reason uh, for them to be interested. Uh, and the Ottawa said, listen, Ottawa's got two top five picks. And they have one of the deepest prospect pools in the league. They're rebuilding. Uh, they're probably not going to add any major uh, free agents, considering the, the, uh, the cap constraints. Uh, from the league and the lack of uh, hockey-related revenue and the flat cap. Uh, so uh, although they have guys like Thomas Shabbat and they have Eric Brandstrom and they have Jacob Bernard-Docker, they, they don't have a defenseman in their system uh, that, that could uh, fit that mold. You know, Lassie Thompson, their first-round pick last year, was, it could be physical and he's got a hard shot. But Sanderson is a, is a game-changer. Like, you plan your game around him and what he does. I uh, saw so the college teams do that. The international tournaments, he was the dominant player at the U18 Five Nations in February and was the leading scorer in that tournament uh, that had a lot of high-profile prospects. So, um, you know, every team, really up through up and down that top 10, uh, can justify taking a defenseman like Jake Sanderson. And really, for the, the, same, uh, the same could be said about Jamie Drysdale as well. I think they're both fantastic prospects. Which one do you think will go off the board first, Drysdale or Sanderson? I, I think that Sanderson is going to go first, but I think that Drysdale is going to be the better player when all is said and done. Uh, I, I think that Jamie Drysdale's such a brilliant playmaker and hit the shooting and the skating and the grace. Uh, I think what's making this really difficult is that Sanderson skates just as well. Uh, but the thing is, when Drysdale's mo moving at top speed, uh, he makes plays that only a few plays can make. He's got such a quick brain where he spots guys across the ice, uh, he just the, the accuracy of his shots. He's definitely a, a very dynamic and high-profile uh, playmaker from the back end. So uh, the, way that we're, the way we've seen Quint Hughes dominate and Kale McCarr, uh, I could see a guy like, let's say, Sanderson. He'll be a big minute eater, like a 23 to 25 minute a night guy. But I could see Drysdale being the 55 to 60, 65 points every season kind of guy. And uh, I might lean more towards him. Uh, the way the game's being played nowadays. Wow. All right. Well, the top three picks seem to be pretty locked in, it seems like. Uh, but how do you see four through ten going? Well, Detroit's picking at four, and I, it really, I feel bad for them. I feel bad for the fans uh, because they, they were so bad this year, uh, and they really deserve that franchise play. The, the Wings, they, they've had a million draft picks in the last four or five years, and they've been rebuilding. But as much as we like Phillips Zadina, as much as we like Jonathan Bergeron, and we like Joe Valeno and Moritz Sider, uh, I, I don't think that they have uh, anyone in their farm system that you would consider to be a, a franchise type. And they would have gotten that, I think, if they drafted first or second, you know, with either Byfield or with uh, Lafreniere. So they're in a bit of a rut. They need help everywhere. They need help in goal. They need a center iceman. They need uh, help on the wing. So... If I could identify three targets 
for them to uh to, for three prospects to target, I would say that defense is okay because they have Hironek, they have Sider, they have Chalowski, uh, they have Annie Tuomisto coming in over from Finland. So maybe you you would say we could do without the Jamie Drysdales and the Jake Sandersons. And the three players that I've identified for them are center Marco Rossi from Ottawa in the OHL, uh, center wing Cole Perfetti from Saginaw in the OHL, and then goalie Yaroslav Askarov. Now, you know, Steve Eisenman shocked the world last year in a way by taking more Sider a good maybe eight to you know, five to eight spots higher than we expected. So there's no reason to think he won't be willing to do it again, especially since that, you know, he doesn't have that first overall pick or doesn't have that guaranteed superstar. Uh, you get a guy like Askarov, uh, he solves a lot of problems. He's probably closer to, to being NHL ready as a number one, not just being, you know, uh, making a team out of camp uh, than any goalie we've seen, even including that includes Spencer Knight uh, in the last 15 or so years. So uh, he's a guy I wouldn't mind uh, them taking. I know Wings fans might think otherwise. Uh, Marco Rossi, though, uh, he actually reminds me of a young Steve Eisenman. You know, when Steve Eisenman first came up, uh, he wasn't all that tough. He wasn't all that uh, defense-oriented. He was definitely a finesse, playmaking type of a center. And Rossi, uh, you know, he gets knocked on for his size. But the guy was the leading scorer in the CHL, over two points a game. He was voted by the coaches in the OHL as I believe the top defensive forward in that, in the, uh, in the conference. So it's not like he's this one way guy that's just relies on offense and took advantage of a running gun league and having a superior uh, supporting cast around him. I, I think that he, he genuinely is an elite player. He has potential to be a franchise center, whether it be in a, in a Claude Giroux kind of a mold or her Steve Eisenman kind of a mold. Uh, so I think that, the fact that they they don't really have a guy like that. You know, they have, like I said, they got Dylan Locke and they have Joe Valeno and a couple other center prospects. But, you know, if you got a sniper like Philip Zadina already in the prospect pool, you throw in a center like Marco Rossi, he can make him all that much better. And then with Perfetti, he's the guy that does everything. He's a playmaker. He's a sniper. Some concerns about his skating. I think they might be a little overstated because he's actually quick uh, in close areas. But uh, no one shoots the puck as accurately and as quickly as Perfetti does. So I think the Wings will have, I guess, those three options uh, at number four. Well, in the top three, the real question seems to be, will L.A. take Stutzler or will they take Byfield? Which way do you see the L.A. Kings going at number two? Uh, I, I would take Byfield. I would take Byfield. Uh, I think they might take Stutzler because they, 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 there's some type of connection with the Kings front office and the German leagues. Uh, and that uh, they've drafted German kids in the past, so they have some German kids in their pool. So I think that they might lean towards Stutzler, uh, also because that they have all these elite centers. They have Gabe Velarde and Rasmus Kupari and uh, Jared Anderson Dolan and uh, Alex Turcott, who they drafted fifth overall last year. So a guy like Stutzler is a little bit more versatile because he could play wing, and he spent most of the season in the German Elite League playing wing. Uh, but I, I, I think that Byfield's the better prospect. He's bigger. He's got this fantastic uh, hockey IQ, his, his hands, his playmaking, his vision. Uh, Sudbury was just lost without him. They were terrible when he left to go uh, try out for Team Canada at the World Juniors and then eventually made the team to go to the Czech Republic. The Wolves were terrible. I mean, it was a huge difference in not just goals scored and goals allowed, but they, they just seemed like a completely different team. And then when he came back, when Byfield came back, uh, they went right back to their winning ways. So, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say he's as good as Lafreniere, 
but it could be like an Ovechkin-Malkin situation. You know, the wing is almost borderline generational or close to it, at least, you know, seemed that way in his draft year. And the center isn't a bad consolation prize, and he too might go on uh, to have a star career. You mentioned Askarov. Uh, it's always tough to predict where goalies are going to go, especially in the first round. Uh, but realistically, where do you see him getting selected here? I think realistically, I see him, uh, the latest I see him going is 15. Uh, and that's where the Maple Leafs are picking. There's a, there are a lot of teams uh, picking in that top 15 that could really use a goalie. And I don't mean just, I mean, uh, a goalie that uh, could one day, uh, you know, develop and help them out and maybe, you know, be a, a somewhat a, above average. I'm talking they need a guy to come in every night and be like a Henrik Lundqvist or a Carey Price who just stops pucks all the time and gives your team a chance to win every night. I know it sounds cliche, but that's the reality of it. it Goaltending was terrible in the NHL this season. So many guys were inconsistent. And there were goaltending problems and guys were going in and out of the lineup because uh, they couldn't maintain their job. And when guys like Lundqvist and Price were in their prime, that was never a question. You knew that every day they'd be in net for 60 to 65 games a season. And so some of those franchises like Buffalo and let's say like New Jersey, even though if they have a guy like Mackenzie Blackwood, uh, he's only played in 60 games. You can't consider that guy a future franchise goalie. Uh, and it wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of competition. but. Uh, if I'm a betting man, I see him going somewhere between the Buffalo pick at number eight and then the Toronto pick at number 15, but definitely no lower than that. And like, I guess the other question I have is, do you ever see teams getting over their fears of selecting these highly talented goalies with higher picks? Because I feel like there's so many good goalies kind of the last four or five years. You look at Carter Hart, you know, Vasilevsky this year, Askarov. So many good young goalies, even Spencer Knight. But teams are just afraid to pick them with these top 10 picks. It's, it's quite something. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. That's a good question. Well, here's my, my take on it is very simple. If your team has a history of drafting goalies outside of the first or second round and turning those goalies into NHL caliber uh, starters, then by all means, avoid the first round. The New York Rangers, they have a history of drafting uh, and developing really good goalies outside the first round. Lundqvist was round seven. Shesterkin was round four. Uh, National Predators, Pecorini, late round pick. UC Soros, late round pick. Uh, but if your team stinks in goal, if you do not have a good track record of drafting and developing goalies, then you have to entertain the idea of using a high first round pick or a middle first round pick on a goaltender. So um, obviously uh, what a big driver of that is how good the class is. If it's a deep goalie class, then as a GM, you might say, well, listen, uh, I like this Askarov kid, but is he that much better than Drew Camesso? In let's say 15 years, is Askarov going to be, let's say 45, 10 and two and winning Vesna's and is Drew Camesso going to be, you know, 15, 15 and five, or is it going to be more realistic where you'll have a season like, a Vasilyevsky being Vesna caliber in a first round draft pick. But oh, by the way, there are others around him, whether it be in different seasons, Braden Holpe, uh, you know, Pekka Rene, uh, Jordan Binnington, whomever, these, after the, uh, these uh, goalies drafted outside of the first round uh, who were able to establish themselves as uh, quality NHL starters in Vesna caliber. So, uh, you know, if I'm a GM and my team stinks, especially in goal, I don't care where they're ranked. I don't care what the history or the trends say. 
if someone tells me, my scouts presented to me in the right way, and they say, hey, listen, this goalie right here, he will change our franchise and make you a very smart man. I'm making the pick. And if, if it fails, it fails. And you could always go back to adding goalie picks in the later rounds. So if you're going to draft a goalie in the first round, why not draft another one in the later rounds just as a kind of like a contingency? So mm. uh, I understand why teams are apprehensive, deservedly so. You see all these quality goalies drafted outside of the uh, round one and having Hall of Fame NHL careers. But uh, I think we're going to start seeing a shift in that. Um, regardless of how long it takes these kids to develop. Go ahead, you mentioned, Matt. <laughs> you mentioned how uh, Askarov could be a slight reach for Yeiserman at four. Are there any other players that you could see teams reaching for that in the, around the top 10? Could you see any teams going for a reach player, and who would that be? Uh, that's a good question. A couple of guys, uh, and this is just based on chatter. And, you know, what I've always say every year is that the top 10 kids picked in the draft every year uh, don't always be become the top 10 players from that draft class when the 15 years down the road. Same thing applies with the rankings. The kids that you have ranked one through 10 don't always become the kids that have the 10 best careers uh, out of an entire draft class. So there are going to be guys who are drafted in, I would say, 28th overall or 34th overall or 19th overall who may very well become the best player from the entire class five to ten years down the road. So when I look at the plays that have that potential, and I'm a guessing man, uh, remember, this is a very deep top ten, one of the best top tens we've seen in recent years. So there's no shame in being a 15th or 16th overall pick uh, because it says a lot about the quality of the forwards especially. So guys like Seth Jarvis out of the WHL in Portland or Jack Quinn from Ottawa in the OHL, these guys are top five, top 10 caliber prospects. It just so happens to be a year where, you know, teams want to be a little uh, safe. They want to focus on the big boys or the main names. Uh, but I could see those two especially cracking potentially the top five. I mean, remember, we saw Barrett Hayton get picked top five a couple of years ago. I don't think anybody expected that. Uh, now, yeah. granted, you could say Arizona might have made a mistake because they passed on Quinn Hughes and some other types to draft him. Uh, <laughs> But I do think he's a quality prospect. He deserved uh, to be drafted in that spot. He had a pretty good resume. Um, but, you know, there are a couple of guys that you have to, like Noel Gungler. Noel Gungler is a guy that if you just look at the skill set, forget about the, the, the off-the-ice stuff, forget about his usage uh, in the Swedish Hockey League. If you look at the skill set and, you know, he comes across in the interviews as someone who's willing to maybe refine his game away from the puck and be more than just a sniper, I mean, who would want uh, you know, a 6'1", 185-pound winger with one of the best shot releases in the draft. Uh, so even though I have him ranked outside the first round, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he got cracked to maybe top 10 or top 15. Interesting. Okay, um, just to kind of piggyback off of that, who do you see potentially falling and kind of going later than expected because of there seems to be a lot of intrigue with kind of the top 15, top 20 players in this draft? Well, one thing we've seen is uh, a skating could be a detriment. Uh, we've seen that uh, any type of, I guess, uh, perception that a, a, a maybe a regression in progress or development could be viewed as, uh, let's say, a detriment and knock a kid down. So uh, one kid that, that comes to mind is Cole Perfetti because there are questions about his skating and maybe he might be a little bit heavy-footed. Again, I... The longer I do this, the more I realize that Hockey IQ will trump 
speed 10 times out of 10, but you got to have a little bit of quickness to outpace some of those big mean guys that are coming uh, after you and want to mash you into the boards. Uh, and of course the NHL game now, this is a possession game. So, uh, you know, if you can't outpace guys and, uh, to enter that zone cleanly, whether it be with agility or lateral quickness, then, uh, it's going to hurt you and you, you're going to resort to dumping and chasing and you'll probably lose a lot of those battles as well because you're not quick enough to catch up to the puck. So uh, I think Perfetti is a guy that I could see falling outside the top 10. Maybe they view him as a guy that just put up really fancy stats in a, uh, in a very uh, wide open league. Uh, but uh, it's doubtful because of how high his hockey IQ is. And then the other question is about Lucas Raymond uh, and Alexander Holtz, the two Swedish wingers that uh, a lot of us felt were going to be top five picks, borderline top three picks. And uh, Raymond did not have a very good uh, draft season. Uh, some people say it was usage. Others say it was just a uh, lack of strength. He needed to get bigger. Uh, but he's kind of seemed like he's bounced back and he's having a really good start uh, to this year for in the SHL. Uh, so maybe teams thinking, uh, you know, from three onward, we're like, you know what, though? Uh, we're a little concerned by what he didn't do in his draft year. Uh, so let's see if uh, we just, uh, you know, give someone else a, a longer look. And with Holtz, uh, if he's not scoring goals, what is he doing? Is he helping on the back check? Is he being physical? Is he involved in puck battles? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. So I could see someone uh, maybe knocking him down as well. So um, I don't see Drysdale or Sanderson falling out of the top 10. Um, you know, I don't see Stutzler or Byfield or Lafreniere falling out of the top 10. Uh, it's going to be uh, someone, those players in the mix between 5 uh, and 10 maybe that you'll see slip. If there's one guy I would say that really slips down uh, into the bottom portions of the first round, uh, it would probably be... Uh, what's his name from uh, Wisconsin, Dylan Holloway, a kid I love, by the way. I think he's a great, fantastic prospect. But his draft season, much like Lucas Raymond, it just didn't have that pop. It didn't have that wow factor. He he played on, on a good team, on, on a struggling team with some good uh, teammates that, uh, you know, he was all up and down the lineup. Not really his fault, but Again, you know, when you expect to be a top 10 pick uh, and your stats are rather nondescript and uh, you're, in, you're inconsistent with your play on the puck, uh, that could be a little bit of a red flag to teams. Of course, the league is going to be a flat cap next year. And there's a lot of teams with some big contracts that I'm sure they'd like to move. With that flat cap, do you think we might see some picks flying around a little more than we have in the past few years? Uh, you mean like trading, uh, the trading of picks? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, well, listen, the, you know, trading away first round picks at the draft is something you rarely see happen at the draft. You usually see it happen either the few weeks before or you'll see it at the deadline. So the only teams I see moving uh, around in that first round are the three teams with the multiple picks. So at least three teams. Yeah, the, the Rangers, Ottawa and uh, New Jersey. Now, Ottawa has three and five. They also have, I think, 20. Uh, they also have three, five, mm. 20, 28. Right. Yep. And then uh, and then uh, the Devils have 7, 18, and 20. The Rangers have 1 and 22. So uh, because there are so many teams without second-round picks, the Devils and Rangers being two of them, there's always a chance that they want to maybe package one of their first-round picks to get into the second round or get multiple picks in that round. And then uh, a team, let's say, that doesn't have a first-round pick, uh, you know, let's say like uh, Tampa Bay or whomever, uh, could jump in. So uh, you will see movement. You will see trades being made. As far as the big names, uh, big contracts being moved, uh, I really can't predict that. Uh, uh, my gut tells me that there are maybe five teams in the league uh, who have been told by their ownership 
to just spend. Who cares? I'm a billionaire. I got money coming out of everywhere. Uh, and this coronavirus hasn't hurt me one bit. So go ahead and spend. I want you to make this team better. Uh, and then there are going to be a lot of teams, though, that are like, you know, tightening up a bit. And they're going to be furloughing employees, cutting salaries, and making it known that they're probably going to be more willing to play kids, uh, kids on entry-level contracts, and being closer to the salary cap floor than the ceiling. And it's, it'll be competitive teams that do that as well, which is going to be tough to do. So you might have a couple of guys end up getting big contracts, but as far as first-round picks getting traded, uh, I really don't see any being moved outside of uh, those three teams I mentioned. So there's a lot of talent in this draft. I mean, it's been widely talked about as one of the better drafts in recent years. Uh, do you see any prospects that you really like kind of going in the second round or later this year? Oh, there's a bunch. I mean, uh, I, I could go on and on about this. Uh, there's definitely, so I would say if I would rate this draft, I'd give it like uh, maybe like a B plus grade, uh, maybe close to an A minus because you have that superior top 10 or top 12. And then even, you know, late in the first round, there's some pretty good depth guys. You could argue with like Maverick Bork, for example, is he uh, a top 10 potential pick or is a, he's a Dawson Mercer's another one. Uh, but if I look at the second round, I mean, you look at some of these names, these kids are first round quality. I mean, Hendrix LaPierre, concussion issues. Uh, he looks like great to start his uh, Quebec League season thus far. Uh, so does he go back to the first round? Or does the fact that he had three concussions knock him into the second round? Whatever happens, he's still an elite talent and first round caliber. Uh, Emil Andre, a uh, small defenseman out of Sweden, off to a great start. He's playing about 20 minutes a game for HB 71 in the Swedish Hockey League. He hits, he could skate, he could quarterback a power play. He's a, got fantastic vision. Kind of like an Eric Brandstrom type, uh, but maybe teams get turned off by his size, so he slips into the second round. Uh, you got other defensemen, guys like Topi Nimala, the Finnish kid, the right shot, uh, who's played against men, uh, done a really good job, had some dominant tournaments, uh, not very big, but an excellent skater and loves to shoot the puck. And there are two guys uh, that, uh, well, there are three guys I want to talk about that, in my opinion, are first-round caliber that end up uh, likely high in the second round. The first one is Ty Tulio, who plays for Oshawa uh, in the OHL. Uh, I think this kid is a beast. I mean, he's not very big, but he plays like he's big. And, uh, you know, he, he, hadn't, he didn't have it easy because his dad owned the team, uh, the, the Gens, and uh, he was still made a first-round a first pick in the priority draft. And so a lot of people say, well, it was nepotism, and he you know, drafted his own son. But, you know, so when you have that type of, uh, I guess, tag on you, a lot of these kids would usually fail in that regard. But he deserved everything he's gotten. He played in the top line with Phil Tomasino. I thought he made Phil Tomasino as dangerous as Tomasino made Tulio. And then he's got that, that uh, abrasiveness. He's got the puck skills. He could score. He could skate. He's got a great shot. Uh, and he's a playmaker. But he also hits and he fights and he could get under the opponent's skin. So he's a guy I could see being drafted, uh, uh, you know, early in the second round, middle of the second round, but definitely first round quality. And then the other two guys I want to focus on is the Swedish tandem of uh, Theo Niederbach and Daniel Torgerson. I mean, these are two guys that uh, no one, I think anybody had them as potential first round picks when the season started. Uh, Niederbach was dealing with injury. He's a center. Torgerson being the bigger winger, who's more of a 200 foot type. But they both played for Frölunda, which is an elite program in Sweden. And they just put on a show. They put on a show last year in the, uh, the top 10 portion of the Super Elite schedule. They were outstanding for Sweden at a couple of tournaments. Uh, and uh, this year, that the, the, really, that the top 
scoring combination in the entire league. So uh, I could see teams. I got Torgerson ranked, I believe, 28. And I got Niederbach now ranked somewhere like in the, in the high 40s, like 41 or 42. Uh, but I could see both those kids being uh, potential candidates to not just be in the first round, but maybe even in the middle of the first round. But more than likely, you'll probably see them drafted in round two. I think you've covered it very well there, Steve. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. It's been fun. All right. That is Steve Cornianos, also known as the Draft Analyst. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. Visit his website. Tons of great tools and rankings and scouting reports. We're really thrilled to have him on the show. Welcome back to Santa Rice. Once again, a big thank you to Steve Cornianos for joining us. Really good insights. And gotten me even more hype for the draft than I already am, Mac. Of course, as a Sens fan, I've been counting down the days for the last couple weeks. And Tuesday is the big night, of course. And of course, I think the real question on how things will go in the first round, I think we'll get a good feeling of how things are going to go based on who Yeiserman takes it board. That might just set the tone for how things are going to go. If he goes off the board, and we know, as Steve mentioned, Yeiserman's been known to do that before. We could could absolutely see things just go crazy from there. As we've seen in past drafts, Mac, there's been times where someone like Mark Bergman just takes a pick that's completely off the board, and you might as well throw the draft rankings from there because they don't matter anymore. Once one off the board goes, they all start tumbling down. But... The interesting thing Steve brought up for me, Mac, was Jake Sanderson. And, of course, here in Canada, we know who Jake Sanderson is. We know he's a very good player. But we don't quite get exposed to him quite as much as you would in the States, for example. And there's, I think a lot of GMs are going to be making that, that tough decision. Do we take Drysdale or Sanderson? I think they're both very close. They're both very good defensemen. And as Steve mentioned... Whoever picks Sanderson or Drysdale is going to reap the rewards from that pick for years to come. Yeah, I think the three guys that I have my eye on are those two that you mentioned. I think whoever picks those guys kind of around the top five, even between five and ten, is getting a great player. And then also Askarov. For me, those guys, whichever team is picking any of those guys is winning this draft. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought up the point of why are teams and particular fans of teams so against picking a high quality goaltender early on. And Steve brought up a great point there that look, there's some teams like the New York Rangers that are very good about at taking players in the second, third goaltenders and developing them into franchise goaltenders. But there's a lot of teams that are out there that just don't quite have that goaltending development system in place to take some of those middle-of-the-draft goaltending prospects and turn them into franchise goaltenders. So, it, And especially with an, a number of teams that could use a goaltender like Ashcroft, and one that really sticks out to me besides Detroit, Mac, would be Nashville. Nashville uh, was certainly let down by their goaltending this year. Soros and Rene just can't get the job done anymore. And mm-hmm. if I'm David Pola. To me, Askarov's one of my is circled number one on my draft priority list. If he if he's available when I'm picking, I'm taking Askarov. I'm not even second guessing that pick because Nashville needs goaltending. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a draft. It's not always going to go exactly how you expect it to go. There's going to be some surprises. There's going to be picks that are moved around. I mean, there's certainly a lot of trade chatter, as you mentioned. There's a ton of players available because teams have to meet the flat cap. So, I mean, this even though there's a lot of talent in this draft, I think also the idea of potentially trading picks makes this draft really interesting as well. Oh, yeah, particularly with the flat cap. And you mentioned players you were keeping your eye on, Matt. One I would keep my eye on, and uh, Steve brought it up, uh, Jack Quinn. I think he could have, I think Steve's right. He could absolutely move into the top five. I've been hearing his name with the Senators here the last couple weeks. I hear they really like him. They really like what he can bring to the table. He's a great playmaker. He's got a great hockey IQ, great skating. And, of course, with him being in your own backyard, Pretty easy to scout him. I, I could, I absolutely think there's a good chance that Ottawa, the Senators are going to take a 67 at number five. Question is, will they take Rossi or Quinn? And Rossi is very good. So I could see Detroit taking Rossi at four. I think Yazerman absolutely sees a bit of himself, himself and Marco Rossi. And I think Rossi could very well go four. It, as I mentioned a few moments ago, Mac, I think the Yzerman Detroit pick is the wild card pick, the first real wild card pick, because we know generally who's going top three. We know Lafreniere is going one, and we know Stutzler or Byfield are going two, three, and then after that, it opens up. I gotta say, it was very reassuring to hear him say, "I want Byfield at two. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, here's the here's the personal bias as an Ottawa fan. I want Byfield to fall to three, <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah. I, I think LA is going to take Byfield. I know there's been connections to the German league and Stutzla, and Stutzla is a very good player. I don't get me wrong, Mac. I would be very happy the Sens called Stutzla's name at three on Tuesday night. But you know, if you're the LA Kings, Byfield to me is just that much better than Stutzla, and that's once again, it's not taking away from how good. Stutzla is and will be but to me Byfield has so much potential and he's still very young and he's still got a lot of growing to do he could be in the same conversation as Lafreniere in a few years as Steve mentioned so I think LA as much as they like Stutzla and there's that German connection there unless they really see something in Stutzla that they don't see in Byfield they're going to take Byfield it yeah, yeah, that's that's my feeling as well. The other interesting thing is I think I think the teams that are picking kind of between 10 and 15 because of the potential movement and maybe surprises in the top 10, you know, even someone picking Askarov could throw the draft off a little bit. I think they're sitting pretty there. I think they're going to get some really good players. Yeah, you're right. And let's not forget there's teams in the top 10 that have assets as Steve mentioned, the Rangers, the Devils, and the Senators in particular have a lot of assets that they are willing to move to move up. And in particular, Pierre Dorian has got so many second and third and fourth round picks here that I would be shocked if he doesn't try to move that 28th overall pick and try and get into the uh, mid-teens, at least. I think he'll try. And it's going to be a very interesting draft, I think. It's going to be a more active draft than usual because of the flat cap. And I'm excited for the draft. And I don't often pay close attention to the second round. I know there's usually some good players going there. 
But it, if you're just a casual draft observer, keep a close eye on the second round this year. Because as Steve mentioned, and you and I have mentioned this before, it's such a deep draft that there's guys that in pretty much any other draft year would be fairly high in the first round, you know, late teens, early 20s, that are going to fall to the second round, and teams are just going to get a steal there. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's like any other draft. I mean, the GMs that are the smartest always win out on draft day. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see some of the GMs that are kind of under fire right now. What does David Poyle do with the Predators? You know, do the Hurricanes luck out and get Askarov at their pick? I think the Hurricanes and the Predators are probably the two teams with the most interest in him right now in terms of you know, getting a high talent at that pick, but also filling a need that's really dire right now. Absolutely. All right. Then, uh, anything else to add before we wrap up here? This has been fun. Oh, yeah. It's been a great show. Uh, of course, the Sens are revealing their uh, jerseys Tuesday night as well, presumably at the third overall pick. So you will get my reaction on that. Oh, yeah. Speaking of jerseys, Mac, quick mm. thoughts on the golden jerseys. <laughs> oh, you know, I, Matt, I didn't think they could mess up all gold jerseys, but here we are. I mean, these are these are no good. Send them back. There's <laughs> well, you still know, time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the season's probably not going to start till the new year at this point. And of course, in a future episode, Mac and I will absolutely get into the Stanley Cup, and how that went down, our thoughts on that, our thoughts on next season, that's going to be coming up in an upcoming episode. We promise you that much. But those golden jerseys, Mac, I will say this. At the very least, I've seen some pictures on the hockey jerseys Reddit of them in person, and they do look a little better. Now, that's not saying much, but <laughs> I will say they don't look quite as bad as they did on the reveal poster. Yeah. But once again, that's a pretty low bar. <laughs> yeah yeah thanks everybody for listening a big thank you to steve cornianos the draft analyst he was amazing we're definitely going to have him on again as always we're brought to you by the national podcast network for matt this is max signing off thanks for listening and take care guys